But they're, they're celebratory songs. Like, how great are you, God, that despite all the stuff, and, and here I am, and, and when I, I face these struggles, and I face these, these trials of all kinds, you're there. How great you are. And I just The songs we've sung this morning, um, Come Christians, join to sing, All hail the power of Jesus' name. It says, My Father's world, great is thy faithfulness, how great thou art. All songs speaking to the glory and magnificence of God and Jesus Christ, who we... You know, we, we celebrate with his, his birth just a couple weeks ago, and, and we're going to spend the next several months studying his life <clears throat> and how it's affected us as we work towards the cross, which is resurrection. It was the meaning of the cross that brought all the value to the birth. Otherwise, it's just a birth of a baby, a wonderful baby, a wonderful baby. But at the same time, he became our Savior on the cross when he died for us. And last week we talked about the need to make a change or changes in our lives, not because it was close to New Year's Eve and that was the tradition, right, resolutions, but rather <clears throat> it's because we all fall short of God's glory. And so we all have areas of our lives where we can stand to make some improvements to be a little more like Christ, a little more like God designed us to be. And we all have these areas of our life that need some improvement to bring us closer to how we should be living and closer to God himself. So instead of being resolved to make a change, and I thought about that word, you know, resolved. It's you're re, you're doing something over, and you're solved. You're solving a problem. So every year we try to solve the same problems again, right? How are you guys doing on that stuff? As I watched the uh, football game last night to see who the Chiefs play eating a hot dog out of the microwave, I realized I probably haven't made the changes to my diet that I had resolved to make. But I will re-resolve again today, and we'll go again. But we talked about being incited to make a change. Incited, not excited, not yay, not inspired, although there's some inspiration, but incited to make a change because we need to become more passionate and affirm ourselves in the things that we are doing right, the things that we're doing well. We want to be excited, yay, not prideful, but to say, okay, I'm doing this one well. And we need to be equally passionately motivated to improve the areas that really need it. And some of these areas are very obvious, and some of them are things we kind of tuck down deep in our heart and our soul and go, that's something I really don't like about myself. Okay, I don't really want to talk about it. I don't want to tell God that I'm really struggling with this, but you know what? He knows. He knows. You know, it's not a surprise to him, and he's got broad shoulders. He can take it. So whether it made your list or not, if you're here this morning, then you've already started this new year by attending church every Sunday. You're one for one. And that is how a streak is started, right? So every streak starts with a single victory, and this is your victory. This is your one for one on Sundays at church. And uh, we are also called to fellowship with each other, to gather for prayer and worship, and to continue to pursue God, which is what we do every day. And Golden Beach Community Church is one of the places where you can do this. And on behalf of everyone else this morning, I, I thank you for being here. We're glad you're here, right? And I love that we turn around and we greet each other and say, I'm, I'm glad you're here. And hopefully that's coming off with some sense of uh, uh, honesty and sincerity. So. In two weeks, we're going to spend our 8.30 Bible study time talking about the Sabbath and what Scripture tells us about it. And I hope you'll join us. But now it's 2020. It's 2020. You've heard me say how excited I am about this year. In addition to being the 40th anniversary of this little church in the community, um, in this, this church that we hold so dear, and in, in addition to being its 40 years, it's an excuse, if nothing else, to consider this a new start, a turning point, or perhaps a milestone or a benchmark of sorts. And 
if you recall from the Sunday morning message from September with that title that was Benchmarks or Milestones, we were talking about life as a journey. But unlike popular belief, it's, it's not as much about the journey as the destination. They say, it's not about the destination, it's the journey. No, we're going we're gonna to love this journey. We're going to enjoy it. God's going to bless us along our way. But it is absolutely about the destination, and that is heaven. And heaven is heaven because that's where God is. It's not because we want to get to heaven. It's because we want to be where God is. And wherever God is, that's heaven. And what's really cool is God wants us to be there just as badly as we want to be there too. So we're all working from the same goal here. And in the case of our lives, the journey begins at our birth and continues through our life on earth as we experience these joys and these trials of all kinds. And they help us to mature in our faith for whatever comes next. And what's next, again, is that it's our eternal life with our Heavenly Father. All these things we're doing, this, this journey that we're experiencing, is just helping us grow up a little bit, spiritually speaking. Now, Jesus was the embodiment of God. He was God in the flesh, the Son of God. He was born as a, a helpless baby, and that was by design. He was raised as a child in this world and then taught and lived the will of his Father. The story of his life is foretold in the Old Testament of the Bible, and it's shared in the New Testament. And personally, I, I enjoy reading the Gospel of Luke as a narrative for the life of Christ. And several weeks ago, Heather made the very, that very challenge to us, didn't you? We're sitting around, we're doing our circle at the end, and you said... Um, I challenge you guys to, to read a chapter of the Bible, and that was Luke. And I, it's very exciting. If you haven't already done so, or if it's been a while, I want to encourage you to open your Bibles. We talked about that this morning, the power of just reading the Word in print for yourself. I'm going to share some scriptures with you this morning, but there's something deeper to that, some additional meaning and relevance when you read it for yourself, because God wrote that letter to you, every single one of you. Anyway, I want you to read for yourself about the one who came and saved the life and soul of everyone you know and love, and that includes you. So this morning, I'm going to take the next few minutes to share just a few highlights and examples of what Jesus came to do. And I titled this message, He Was Born for This. And let me give you a little backstory. I was watching the movie Avatar for the millionth time, and that's not my estimate. That's Sherry's estimate. And if she was here, she'd tell you, that, yes, I watch the same movies over and over and over, and they don't even have to be good movies. But to her point, yes, the movie ends the same way every single time. Never changes, but I still enjoy watching it. But if you've seen the movie, you may recall the moment when the main character, who was paralyzed from the waist down, um, he was confined to a wheelchair, and as you can imagine, he'd rather not be. Because one of his desires was to, to be you know, fully enabled again. And there's a scene in the movie where he's riding this flying animal whose name escapes me, and... Maybe I have to watch it again to catch the name. But he's, he's beyond thrilled at this experience, and he's overjoyed, and he shouts, I was born for this. He said, I was born for this. So a few weeks ago, as I was beginning to put my notes together for this message, we were in the middle of the Advent season. And as I was reading and studying deeper about Jesus Christ and what he came to do, all that he accomplished, and that's a life that's still being studied and discussed thousands of years later. Talk about impact, Right? 2000, over 2,000 years ago, and we're still talking about and studying and reading his quotes and his words. And all that would have changed for an eternity because of the 30 years or so that he spent on earth. And I was just astounded. I was just reading this, and I was thinking, and with some excitement, I found myself saying, he was born for this. Whatever problem I'm going through, he was born for this. Whatever blessing I'm feeling, he was born for this. This is what he came for. So this morning, I want to see what the Bible says about this. And these are in no particular order. In fact, I couldn't prioritize them. I tried to put it in some rational order because I can't share them in chronological order because 
He accomplished these things every day. He loved every day. He taught every day. He served every day. I can't say it happened in this order, although there are some order to the stories. And I couldn't, can't share it in the order of importance because every single one of these is needed by all of us all the time. And I'm not just speaking for myself. These things that he came to do that he accomplished, we need them. So I'm going to begin. Jesus came to save the world. And this is said in John 3.17 and Luke 19.10. And I had it point out this morning, and I love you guys for doing this. I'm going to start providing those scriptures on the back of the announcement so you can look them up later at your convenience. But he came to save the world. And John 3.17 says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now that's the second part of this famous 1 John 3.16 that we always hear. We see the signs at the stadium. We know it. You know, God so loved the world that he sent his Son. But what a disservice we do, not just to God, but to other people when we fail to share the rest of the good news. It wasn't just about the love, but what he came to do. He came to save the world. Why do we forget that extra sentence that changes everything? He came to serve and to be a ransom for many in Matthew 20, 28. It says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Just one example of a service to others was when he washed the feet of his disciples before joining at the table. We're going to celebrate communion in a few minutes. And on that night, the disciples were gathered around this table, and you have to understand the history of how this was done. They weren't in nice chairs like we have now. I mean, they would literally recline. They would be propped up on an elbow, and your feet were next to the next guy's face, right? And they walked around in sandals on dirt roads. And even if they walked on asphalt roads, it would still be gross to, to be having that person's feet there. So it was the job of the lowest servant in the house to wash the feet of every person. So you at least have a clean neighbor, I guess. And, and Jesus said, this is how I want you to serve people. Watch this. And he, he didn't even draw all that much attention. He just simply served them by washing their feet. And, of course, we can think of no greater service than to give one's own life for another. That's exactly what he did. Jesus came to reveal the Father. This is Matthew eleven twenty seven. 27. It says, All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Okay? Jesus came to reveal the Father to the world. See, he was born a man, but he knew, or at least he came to know, as it was revealed to him over time, the will of God. Right? Even, even at the end, when he was in the garden, it was revealed to him that he would lose his own life. It was revealed, and he knew that. So just as we are called, Jesus knew that it isn't something that should be kept to himself. He says, because we need to remember that obedient faith requires action. So when God reveals himself to you, when God reveals something to you, or puts something on your heart, do you keep it to yourself or do you share it? Okay? Do you take action with that? If, so, if God is putting someone on your heart and you need to pray for them, then pray for them. Take that action. If God is putting something on your heart that you need to do after church this morning, go do it. Okay? Faith requires action. That's the second part of faith. Next, Jesus came to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. This is from Luke 4.43. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. Now, I love that he uses the word must. I must preach the news. How many times do we have some information, no matter how important or relatively significant, we should say, I should probably tell someone about this. 
Sometimes we realize that in hindsight. But Jesus says, I must. I've got all this knowledge. I've got this good news. I must share it. And you know what? He's called you to the same thing. We must share the good news. And not to overplay the obvious 2020 reference and pun, but perhaps one of our goals and prayers this year should be that we have clarity of vision to recognize when we should take action, whether through our words or by example or with an actual movement to accomplish something. Jesus came to give the Father's words, John 17, 8. It says, For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I often refer to the Sermon on the Mount, and if you're going to read it, it begins Matthew 5, Matthew 5 through 7. And, and it's a degree of admiration I read that, that Jesus didn't take personal credit for what he said. He didn't come in with his booming voice, or maybe he did, but he didn't say, because I said so. He always began with these words that said, you've heard it said. You've heard it said, thou shalt not kill. You've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. Okay, Because he didn't come to make up his own words. He's personification of his father's words. Everything he spoke was from his father. And some of them were Old Testament instructions from his father. Okay. Jesus certainly used his own words and life as an example, but he also gave credit to his father. Always gave his father the glory. Now, has there ever been a time that you had to ask God for the words you needed to say? And did he give them to you? I've, I've experienced that. And I hope you have too. You probably have. I just hope you realize it. And Jesus came to preach. Not only to preach, but to teach. And this is from Mark 1.38. Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Again, this is faith put into action. Let us go. He's not saying let's stay here and let's see who comes around. He's not saying let's sit here and talk among ourselves. He's let us go so I can preach there also. Now, perhaps Jesus was on an emotional high. God loves these people and I love these people. I want to share the truth of the Father with them. I was born for this. And that's probably what he felt inside, right? I was born for this. I, I want to preach. I want to teach. I want to save as many people as I can while I'm here. And so should we. Jesus came to testify to the truth, John 18, 37. This is his conversation with Pilate. He says, you are king then? Pilate asked. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I'm a king. In fact, for this reason I was born. For this I came to the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. That answer, that honest answer, cost Jesus his life. And there's one truth, and Jesus would not deny what that truth was, even when it meant his own life. That Jesus came to do the will of the Father, John 6, 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. He was born for this. And it gets good. Jesus came to destroy the devil's works, 1 John 3, 8. He who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's works. Now we are all still close to Christmas, the time of Jesus' birth, so I hope you will forgive me for jumping ahead in his story and telling you how it goes. Jesus wins. Okay, I know I ruined it for you, but Jesus wins. He defeats evil, he defeats bad, he defeats death itself, he defeats Satan, and that bugs Satan to death. Okay? Satan's best power is when we don't remember that he's been beaten, okay? The devil loses. And are you claiming that victory? Are you invoking the name of Jesus Christ when you feel lost or discouraged or under attack? 
And I don't mean the big, just the big hardcore evils coming after me. I'm talking about the little things too. You say, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to stop worrying. In the name of Jesus, I'm going to stop being upset. I'm going to stop resenting. In the name of Jesus, I'm going to choose to forgive. Okay? And by the way, Jesus, I'm going to need a little of your power because that's going to be a tough one. Because they really messed up. Right? You're not supposed to say that. Jesus came to die. Okay? All right. That was the prophecy fulfilled. But by doing so, he destroyed Satan's power. And this is the other part of that good news. Hebrews 2.14. Since the children of flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. Right? He had to become like us to be a sacrifice for us. So that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And here's your proof that Jesus won. Okay? He was raised from the dead. <clears throat> Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Matthew 5, 17. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. You see, Jesus' birth and his life and even his death are part of God's promise fulfilled. Not only is it a promise fulfilled, it's a prophecy fulfilled. And, and um, it's probably been a couple years ago now, but I gave the, the statistics of the probability of Jesus' life and all that happened and all the prophecies that were about him matching up. And it was astronomical. It was ridiculously how many zeros were by that decimal. It said how improbable it was that this randomly happened. He wasn't born to derail the beliefs of God's children. He was born to affirm them. Okay? And he came to give life, John 10, 10 and 28. <clears throat> the thief comes only to steal, steal, kill, and destroy. Of course, he's talking about the devil. I have come that they may have life, they meaning us, and have it to the full. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Jesus says he's come so that you may have life and have it to the full. What do you think that means? What is a full life? It's more than a long life. It's a meaningful life. It's a blessed life. It's a valued life. And he wasn't just born for God's good. He was born, in, born for you and yours. He came and he called the sinners, Mark two seventeen. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Have you heard that? I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. If he'd only come to talk to the righteous, to say the righteous, how many followers would they really have? Right? Not very many. I tell you that none of the 12 disciples were even righteous, at least not on their own regards. They had achieved righteousness. They were made right with God through what Jesus accomplished. So let me share this goodness with you, this truth. So were you. Okay? okay. He called you. He's making you righteous. And in heaven he will be glorified with him. He came to atone for our sin, Hebrews 2.17. For this reason, he had to be made like your brothers and sisters in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Now this is how we are all made righteous. It's not because of anything we did. Now we are called to be obedient, but that is not what makes us righteous. That's not about our works. But now that he has made it possible, we must do one thing. This is the one thing we must do. Let's accept it. We talked about this at Christmas, the greatest gift. Did you accept it? And he came to proclaim freedom for believers. And this is the last on my list, but certainly not the last of what Jesus came to do. And this is from Luke 4.18. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to release the oppressed. Okay? Not just speaking literally here. 
Okay? There are times in our lives that we are spiritually poor. There are times in our life that we are prisoners, captive to our sins. And there's a time that we are completely blind. As you hear these words and you're reminded of what Christ has accomplished for you, are you recognizing the freedom that his love provides? You are free. You are no longer captive to the sin. You are no longer a slave to sin. You are a child of God. So how would you organize or prioritize this partial list? You don't. You recognize that he was born for all these things, and that he accomplished all of these things. The result of his life still benefits us today because he still lives today. He's still working in your life to do these things for you, to bring freedom, to give you God's word, to be the, the one that connects you into a personal relationship with God. Not only was he born for these things, but he was born for you. The greatest Christmas gift ever was created by God for your benefit and enjoyment. Have you chosen to accept this gift? Now, it's our tradition on the first Sunday of the month to celebrate communion. Okay? And we practice an open communion. All are welcome to participate. In fact, all are encouraged to participate. But think about this while we're celebrating and recognizing his sacrifice so quickly after we just celebrated his birth that it is all tied together, okay? And now is a fantastic time to accept that gift. If you have before, great. If you haven't, that's fine. Now's a good time. And if you just need a reminder as we are taking this bread that represents his body and this juice that represents his blood and this new covenant, if you'll just remember that as we listen to the words of the song. And if you need to sit quietly and pray, pray. If you need to sit quietly and just sit quietly, do that. This is such a personal, personal time, and I'm glad to be a part of it. So will you pray with me, please? Father God, you've come to accomplish so much. You have accomplished so much through your son, Jesus Christ, in his short time on earth. But God, what makes that a miraculous isn't just that he was raised from the dead, but he continues to work in our lives today for all those who believe, for all those who accept, for all those that answer his calling. God, you want nothing more than a relationship with us. You were there with your hand outstretched, welcoming us, guiding us into that relationship with you. So Father God, as we prepare to celebrate this communion time, place on our hearts the things where we need to make changes, make improvements. Affirm within us the things we are doing well and right. And God, we ask also that you uh, help us recognize opportunities within ourselves and in our world to make a difference in your name. Father God, we give this service to you, this time of communion to you. May you convict on our hearts ways that we can act in faith going forward. May we be ever changed by what we've learned from your word. Amen.